Welcome to this edition of the Mission Bitcoin Podcast. On this episode, we talk with Natalie Brunel. Natalie is a journalist and educator based in Los Angeles who hosts the Coin Stories and Career Stories podcast on Apple. Natalie is passionate about Bitcoin and encouraging Bitcoin adoption among women. As a first-generation Polish immigrant, Natalie quickly understood the value of Bitcoin and she sees the power Bitcoin can have for empowerment for women. This is a great discussion from a top influencer in the Bitcoin ecosystem. I know you will enjoy this conversation as we discuss women in Bitcoin. Thank you to all of you who faithfully listen to the show. On various episodes, I've interviewed pastors and missionaries. Please consider donating to their ministries. I've included their Lightning or Bitcoin addresses in the show notes. Thanks so much. As many of you know, I've put together a study guide, Bitcoin for Churches, and we've had a tremendous response with our seminar. If you have a church that you would like to orange pill or a Christian organization, I'm here to help. Please contact me to discuss scheduling a seminar for your organization. In the show notes, you'll find a link with a brief outline of the Bitcoin for Churches study guide. Thank you. Before we jump into the show, I want to make you aware of Bitcoin Lake. Bitcoin Lake is a project I'm starting in Panajachel, Guatemala on Lake Atitlan. I'm hoping we can model Bitcoin Beach in El Salvador. I need your help and I want this to be a Bitcoin community project. Please check out the project on Twitter at Lake Bitcoin. The name Bitcoin Lake is backwards on Twitter at Lake Bitcoin. And I will leave links in the show notes. Please consider being a part of this today. Thank you. Hey, Natalie, uh, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to chat with you. Um, I followed you on Twitter for quite some time, intrigued with what you're doing, and just super excited to talk to you about uh, Bitcoin and women in Bitcoin. And, you know, it's I think it's a great time to be a Bitcoiner uh, last, at, least, at least the last week or so. Um, yeah, so for the audience who may not know who you are, just kind of give us a brief introduction and we'll go from there. Yeah. Hi. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to talk about all of those things. My name is Natalie Brunel. I host a podcast called Coin Stories about the leading voices in Bitcoin. And I'm also an educator. I teach Bitcoin courses as well as I'm also an adjunct professor at USC where I teach advanced communication. And I was a broadcast journalist for more than 10 years until I decided very recently to leave my legacy news job and just pursue um, advocating for Bitcoin and helping spread education about Bitcoin. That's awesome. I I, I did want to ask you about that. I mean, I, I guess since you kind of brought that up, let's I'm just going to ask you, how was that? What what led you to that decision to step away from? I mean, that's a little scary, but you know, I guess there's some safety in having a job like that. But yeah, tell us about that experience. Yeah, I mean, I've loved being a journalist. It's taught me so many amazing skills that I hope to put to use in a different capacity. Um, it's been wonderful just learning a little bit about so many different topics. I mean, when you're a reporter, you're covering a fire one day, public corruption the next day, um, you know, crime the following day, entertainment the next day. It's it's always so different, and you learn so so much, and you learn how to condense very complicated information or um, or stories with a lot of different viewpoints into 
something that's easily digestible in just a couple of minutes to a very general audience. And really, I see a lot of opportunity in doing that for Bitcoin because Bitcoin's both beautifully simple and extraordinarily complicated. And the rabbit hole is so deep and it can take you to some fascinating places, but it can be overwhelming when you first start. And so for me, I just, when I learned about Bitcoin, I felt like it changed the way that I saw a lot of the reports that I had been covering. Um, I felt like prior to understanding Bitcoin and exposing myself to Austrian economics, I was not connecting the dots on how so many of the problems that I was reporting on were really connected to our broken system of money. So I felt like I had been reporting and, and doing my absolute best, doing a good job getting both sides for so long. But I never understood how our system of money printing and inflation and quantitative easing and sort of, you know, a system that basically rewards the rich and constantly takes from the poor is really hurting everyone. And to see people, you know, experiencing some of the worst problems that face society today, I I really started to feel like I could do more good by teaching people about Bitcoin and how it can save us from some of these problems. So um, yeah, so through the podcast, you know, growing, I just felt like I had the confidence and both the desire to to leave and, and create a new path for myself. That's fantastic. That's awesome. And by the way, congratulations. I think you were just recently named one of the top influencers in Bitcoin. So congratulations <laughs> on that. That's awesome. Um, so tell, I guess uh, one of your, and I guess, you know, what you're doing, Natalie, is really no different than what I did in medicine, just kind of you, you, you want to specialize and the, the more knowledge and the more you can drill down, you can speak with authority. Um, so that's, that's really cool. Uh, tell us, uh, you know, I think one of your big focuses is women in Bitcoin. And I, you know, I was sharing with you before we started recording, you know, my experience in just raising three daughters. So I totally identify with that. And I, yeah, I think a couple of weeks ago there was a tweet, you know, I think you tweeted that there should be more women in Bitcoin, which I uh, like the tweet and retweeted it. And um, I, th I think sometimes people, um, they take offense at that, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, what, tell us about the, why you think more women need to be in Bitcoin. Cause I totally agree with you and why sometimes there's pushback on that, that yeah. Why there's pushback on that. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that there would be any pushback. Um, for me, it was just sort of blaringly obvious that there are not a lot of women. When I was going down the rabbit hole, I was in this sort of silo by myself, you know, digging through all of the videos and podcasts I could possibly find. I read all of the books that everyone, you know, admires and loves, like the Bitcoin Standard and the Bullish Case for Bitcoin and Layered Money, and uh, and all of the people that I was really looking at were men, right? And then I entered into the space of Bitcoin Twitter, and most of the people were men. And then I started to go. To my first events, like the Bitcoin conference, and it was mostly men. And so I, I really didn't understand why, although I think the Bitcoin space sort of reflects other areas of finance in general or investing. I mean, a lot of investment bankers or hedge fund managers, they tend to be men as well. Um, and, and that was really disappointing to me because I felt like Bitcoin really empowers the average person to 
to make sure that their savings isn't eroded by inflation and so that they can plan for their future. And there is no gender to the notion mm-hmm. of something like that and redistributing wealth and, and all of the great you know things that Bitcoin offers. So for me, I just felt like I wanted to invite more women into the space and I wanted to provide a welcoming environment for them. Um, Bitcoin Twitter can be a little bit intimidating because it's such it's it's a very bro-y culture, if you will, and some of it is kind of toxic. Um, but I think that women, you know, they find a lot of value and importance out of building a community or being part of a community. So um, over the summer, while I was doing my podcast, I had Anthony Pompliano, who is one of my guests um, and who's someone he's someone that I met at the Bitcoin conference in person. He reached out to me and he had been doing a crypto course for, um, I mean, the general public and and people of all ages and backgrounds and genders. Um, but most of his students ended up being men. It was like 95%. And so the course was very successful. People loved it and got a lot out of it and formed a sense of a, a networking opportunity, but he just didn't have a lot of women. So I was really super grateful when he reached out to me and asked me if I would be interested in, in hosting and teaching a course and having women be sort of the focus uh, as the audience to bring them in and make them feel welcome and and give them a path to learning about Bitcoin with other women. So I jumped at the opportunity. Um, I was super excited. We we uh, contacted some companies and got some scholarships for women that would have normally not afford it. Um, And so I'm in the middle of that workshop series right now. It's three weeks. There's an event or discussion group or workshop every single night. So they get something live and interactive every single night. Um, It's basically like like an online class that you would take with a live instructor answering questions in real time and getting to network with other women from around the world. We have women from Guatemala, Mexico City, Barcelona, London, Australia, Canada, America, Um, just phenomenal, phenomenal group of women. And so I'm super humbled and grateful to be a part of it. And I hope it can continue. And, um, you know, what I will say too, is I think the backlash wasn't so much to the idea of bringing more women in, but just the idea of something that's a paid course. And the only thing I say to that is, you know, I believe in free markets and there are lots of amazing free options out there for people to learn and go down the rabbit hole themselves. I, that's what I did. But it, it took me a long time. I, I was watching a lot of the same information I felt like on loop. And and this is an opportunity to condense some of that for people that want to save a little bit of time and have some live instruction. You can you know learn how to play a guitar on YouTube with your, you know, your instrument or you can hire an instructor and speed the process up. So I think there's no right or wrong. And I hope that the community is just more welcoming of these kinds of efforts. Totally agree. You know, I was mentioning before we recorded, you know, Bitcoin for churches, and it's the same thing. I wanted to, because, and I wrote down as you were talking the toxic mentality, I was going to ask you about that on Bitcoin. And, you know, when I first got onto Bitcoin Twitter, I felt it was toxic. And um, I made a point not to have toxic Bitcoin maximalist in my title. And uh, some of the content, quite frankly, can be offensive. And so, as a Christian wanting to present this to other Christians, you know, there, it needs to be tailored for that audience. And so I totally agree. And I think as Bitcoin adoption grows, we're not going to all have the time to spend that the early adopters have spent learning Bitcoin. So it's got to be tailored to capture more and more people in a more and more condensed version. And I totally agree with you about the free market speaking. So kudos to you. Uh, I just wanted to hear it from you directly. What So what are you finding in your interactions with women that maybe you're not seeing on Twitter? 
like through the course, what kind of concerns are they expressing that you you're probably not seeing on Bitcoin Twitter? Yeah, you know, what's been the most um, comforting and, and, and motivating and exciting to me is just how the women finally feel like they have a platform to share their voice or ask questions without feeling stupid. Um, Twitter has these great, you know, spaces, conversations that are happening. And I try to go in on as many rooms as possible because it seems like there's always male speakers and maybe mm. a woman if... If there's a woman, maybe one. Um, and so they, they've always felt like they're listening from like behind the windows, peering in, and they never felt like they were really a part of the community or they never felt like they could share their voice or have anyone to talk to. And so they felt sort of isolated within wherever they live and wherever they work. Um, to, to not know how to get involved in the space. So it's been really awesome just hearing from all of them. They came in with various ranges of knowledge about Bitcoin. Some of them have been actually in the world a couple of years and maybe are also interested in some of the other projects like NFTs. Some of them are starting from absolute zero and just want to have their hand held. And the course and the workshop series works for everyone. And we get to discuss and learn from each other and, and talk about uh, our life experiences and how they sort of inform what we feel about Bitcoin. Like one of the women is from Argentina where she saw, you know, inflation affecting her family and her life. And uh, another woman in Guatemala. I mean, these are places where Bitcoin can have the most, the most like real impact in real time as yeah, far as a medium of exchange, you know? And so it's just been fascinating. I'm really inspired by them and um, I'm really grateful that I get to be a part of this. That's awesome. And I think, Natalie, also your family is from Poland. Is that, is that right? So when did you get involved in Bitcoin? And was that that experience um, being from an immigrant family? Was that do you think that was helpful for you to understand Bitcoin or, or grab onto it more quickly? Yeah. So being from an immigrant family, we moved here from Poland when I was five. And I just always saw my parents working so hard. And it felt like this constant rat race, you know, where no matter how hard they worked, the goalpost kept moving because things get more and more expensive. And it's so much harder to make a living unless you kind of have that advantage of maybe having family money or maybe you got lucky with a stock trade or you have to kind of become this advanced portfolio manager in order to invest the right way. And my parents weren't like that. They were just, you know, um, middle class and blue collar workers. And I just, uh, I just, I grew up feeling like I need to, I need to figure out how to become financially secure because I know what it's like to not have money. And I know what it's like to have things be really, really hard. And I always just wanted to feel financially secure. Um, of all things, I picked the world of media to go into for my career, which, you know, my parents being immigrants, they wanted me to become a doctor. But it's funny because when I was young, the media career was so different, like an average news reporter or anchor, even in a small city actually made a pretty good living because there was no social media and everybody watched the evening news. Right. So I could, I didn't have the foresight to know that everything was going to change as a result of the internet and social media. So what, what was once kind of a lucrative career ended up being a very difficult financial journey for me because my first jobs were just, I mean, abysmal in pay and it's getting harder and harder. Harder, um, on the journalism side to actually make a good living. You're doing the job of five people and you're being paid a fifth of what people were. Um, so yeah, I mean, both that and just seeing my parents struggle really made the idea of sort of the low time preference 
and the idea of being able to save for the future and make sure that you can you can have money that can't be manipulated by the government and will appreciate over time was super important and valuable to me. And it really spoke to me. I mean, I saw my parents who had worked so hard just to be able to have um, a, a small house at one point here. They lost everything in the financial crash. So like the second they thought like they could kind of ease off a little bit and relax, they lost everything and had to start over. And it's like, why do we live in a system like that? where we have these bubbles and really the only the wealthy, you know, have an advantage and and they keep getting wealthier and wealthier and people just are not sure how to retire or afford their kids education. I mean, this is the United States. Yeah. This is the yeah. country that my parents dreamed of. That's that's shameful. So, yeah, so Bitcoin really resonated with me. Have you been able to orange pill them yet? <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. I I actually am making a lot of progress on my mom. I ordered the Bitcoin standard in Polish for her so oh. she it. And so here's what I will say before she thought it was absolutely just crazy, funny money gambling. And now she's like, she checks on me for the price and she's, I, she's still not ready to invest herself, but she's like, I'm happy for your Bitcoin. I'm happy for your, you know, the price going up. I saw it today on the news. I'm happy for you. <laughs> you, you need to make some uh, Bitcoin shaped uh, pierogies. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. That'd be great. Um, Natalie, you know, again, the 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 perspective of women, as I mentioned, I've been around the world uh, and, you know, women usually when you're trying to reach a developing country or community, uh, we found that you have to reach the women to transform a community. So do you think that um, that's the same in a developed country with what you're doing with Bitcoin um, do you think American women um, can help close that equality gap if they get educated in Bitcoin? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question. I think financial literacy needs to increase across across the board, both in the West and here in the US, but also obviously in, in third world countries where so many women are bankless and they need access to be able to even um, you know, take control of their finances, which in many places, I, th I think we take for granted that women can't, you know, they, they have to have permission from like, say, a husband or a father to even have a bank account at, or earn money. And so we've got a lot, a, a long way to go, both in other countries as well as here. And I think that's why education is so important. I had the chance to go to a Human Rights Foundation conference in Miami just a couple of weeks ago. And I heard from women from around the country, um, around the world, countries in Africa, Central America, um, the Middle East, talking about how Bitcoin has really changed the communities that they're from. And, and, you know, being able to get around oppressive governments and tyranny and being able to transact without having to pay crazy remittance fees to places like Western Union. And that was really inspiring and amazing to me. And people are actually transacting in real time uh, using Bitcoin here, obviously, in the West and, and in the U.S., it's it's seen more as a store of value. But it just saddens me to see that so many women are not involved in this financial revolution. A, a lot of women aren't even in stocks, right? Yeah. They have most of their assets in either cash or cash equivalents. Um, most of my girlfriends, they're not, you know, investing in, in different stocks. They're not on Robinhood like my guy friends are. And so I wonder what will change that. Um, and I think that one thing is just having women to look up to and women that are in the space who are encouraging their involvement. And uh, I hope to be part of that movement because I think it's so important. And I think it's beautiful that, you know, Bitcoin has no gender. It has no nationality. It has no language. It has no barriers. It's borderless money. And I think that's so empowering for everybody. What, what the, getting back to the your conference, it, 
did you do an assessment of what their income levels are? I mean, do they, you said some um, have zero knowledge of Bitcoin, but what's their, their income level or, and, or I guess educational level level as well? You know, I, I don't really know. Um, as far as like the women that spoke at the conference, I, I think it really ranges. Um, and some of them had been in Bitcoin for a long time. And so, you know, for example, a tech CEO that I recently interviewed, uh, Roya Maboob, she was paying women for her company in Bitcoin since wow. about, I don't know, 2013 or 2014 when Bitcoin was like $100. Wow. And so um, at one point, the price of Bitcoin actually crashed and the women were a little bit, you know, um, feeling nervous about the asset as a whole. So she decided to purchase back Bitcoin from whoever wanted to sell it at the high price, actually. So she took a loss, bought back a bunch of Bitcoins. And then obviously with the appreciating value over the coming years, she was her sister was able to finance her college education through those Bitcoins. So I think the women and the people in general around the world who got in early and who were transacting with this in their countries a long time ago, they've probably, you know, been able to save up money that has significant value value in their country, right? Um, here, obviously, with with just one Bitcoin, you might not be able to buy a house. But in other places, you certainly could. There are many countries where one Bitcoin is of, of like more than a year's worth of mm-hmm. salary, right? So I think that's really interesting. And and obviously, everything sort of depends on where you live. But, but that was really inspiring to me as well. Let me ask you this. So with my Bitcoin for churches, I decided to not focus on the number go up technology as a lead because, you know, I feel like there's so much more to Bitcoin than just the value. So I focused on the morality. Um, do you, for your seminar with women, do you have a different approach or do you lead with the number go up technology? Is there a different? And the reason I did that is because I feel like um, it becomes more of a conviction buy if you understand the corruption of the system and the and the goodness and the morality of Bitcoin, uh, do you do you approach that the same way with your your women uh, in, in the seminar, or what's your approach? So our workshop series actually starts with the history of money and the problems with the fiat system. So we talk about how the Fed was established and what sort of happened with the purchasing power of the US dollar ever since the Fed was created and and what happened in in Bretton Woods and how we went off the gold standard in 1971. So we really kind of cover the why and the how of our system of money and set that up as sort of here's the problem, right? Here's sort of the, the issues that are all around us that you may not have realized all center on how our monetary system works. And then we present Bitcoin in like the third workshop and basically say, here's what Bitcoin is and here's how it can solve a lot of those problems. And the morality aspect is certainly very, very important because I think when people don't have to worry about the value of their money disappearing or collapsing or eroding, then they can focus on things that are much more productive for a society, right? They can be more collaborative. I think that if we had a stable unit of account at the base layer of our economy, we would be more prone to um, making decisions that are prosperous and peaceful for everybody involved. And if the government didn't need to you know, print money in order to go to war, um, I think that, again, we would be more peaceful as, as nations. And if trade was able to be based on a solid, you know, reliable unit of account, we wouldn't have all these trade issues and and fluctuating prices and surpluses and 
um, shortages. I just think once government steps in and manipulates and has that Keynesian role of sort of over managing and making these big decisions that the free market would probably regulate itself far better, then we start to have a lot of issues that trickle into all of our lives. And, um, you know, that's one of the reasons why I love Saifedean's writing so much, Saifedean Amus, who mm-hmm. wrote the Bitcoin standard, but also the fiat standard, because he really goes into that idea of both how Bitcoin and, and a stable sound money um, promote morality equality, um, a family unit, you know, good food. Like he really goes into these things that are deeper and deeper in the layers of our, our everyday lives. And, and I just find it to be amazing. I, I just wonder sometimes, you know, it seems like our eyes are open to all the ills. And I, I wonder sometimes if it's just too good, you know, I mean, um, the food issues, one thing I was, I had somebody else on the, the show uh, last week and, you know, he brought up the same thing and, you know, do we really think that Bitcoin's going to fix all of that? I mean, I hope, but it it almost seems too good to be true. Well, I mean, first of all, I think we have to try, right? Because the direction we're going right now, it's just, it's really bad and it has caused a lot of problems. I think that people won't know how to solve something or won't move into the direction of progress un- until they know what caused it. And so I think that most Americans don't realize that one of the problems we have with our mass food production economy is that the government subsidized certain types of foods and the food pyramid was made for a very specific reason. It had a lot to do with money and uh, and who was going to get that money. And then it led to expanding you know, waistlines and problems with our health that now the pharmaceutical company benefits from. And so it all has a tri- trickle effect and it's all connected. And at the root of it is, is a broken monetary system where certain people get certain amounts of money that's essentially printed and handed out by the people in power and other people don't. And, uh, and, and that's really sad. And I think that, again, the more that people have that, that information, that knowledge becomes the power to make the changes. And so I do believe that things under the Bitcoin standard would be better. So typically, I, I assume you're a millennial, um, but yes. you know, typically your generation is not too hopeful. Do you think of, about the future, but do you think that if more millennials were aware of and adopted Bitcoin, that it would change their outlook? Absolutely. And I think I'm a living example. I think, you know, it's funny because news, a lot of my friends don't even watch the news because they say it's just too depressing. Right. So imagine, imagine working in news when you're, you're, you know, you go from one terrible, you know, car crash or crime scene to natural disaster to political campaign. You know, you're just, you're literally seeing the worst problems in the world on an up close basis. Um, And so I definitely was one of those people. I felt like there's this problem and we're getting more and more divided in this country and we're sort of fighting over the same thing. And we're fighting over scraps at this point, essentially. And it's like, why is the system so broken? And I didn't understand and I didn't know what could possibly fix it. I didn't know if anything could. And I thought at one point even about running for politics because I just I had covered so many elections and politicians and I felt like there was so much corruption. And I was always raised with a very, very strong moral compass. And I was raised in a Christian, a Catholic household. So morality has always been really important to me. And I got so frustrated and I felt like 
maybe I could go in there and try to spark change because I feel confident that I would not be swayed and moved by financial incentives the way that I see other politicians are. Um, and then I learned about Bitcoin and I felt a lot more peaceful. And I felt that's why I want to like really engage a lot of my friends and other people who are millennials, because I went from a place of feeling stressed and kind of hopeless about the future and wondering what kind of world I would bring kids into because I would love to have a family someday to feeling like Bitcoin actually offers us a chance to rebuild the world from scratch Mm. by opting out of this system and building a new one where we're welcoming everyone in and it's going to be more fair and it's going to be based on what you bring to the table. And, And I think that 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 should provide people with hope. And I and it certainly does for me. That's awesome. I, I wish I was young again to to have hope. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think that Bitcoin's going to um, provide a lot of change. It, I just have a hard time seeing how this is going to happen without some major convulsions. I just I just don't see it yet. Um, but, you know, I, I do think it definitely would do uh, from a from a political perspective. Do do you think that if we're going to use labels, do you feel like there are more conservative people into Bitcoin or more liberal or and or if you are liberal and you find out about Bitcoin, does it change your political persuasion? Well, I love this question because one of my efforts in my role now to educate the public is really making sure that Bitcoin remains bipartisan. Mm-hmm. I love Bitcoin's apolitical nature. Bitcoin has no no president. It has no you know branches. It has no CEO. And I want to make sure that one party doesn't hijack the message and then that would spark, I think, the other party to just automatically be against it just because everything in this country becomes, you know, left or right, red or blue, this or that. Um, one of the things we actually discussed in my workshop series last night is what about Bitcoin appeals to which party? And so we came up with this long list and it was everything from, you know, the idea of the importance of making sure the government isn't spending too much and not raising the debt ceiling and having a small government and the idea of individual freedom that falls on the right. But then you have on the left, the idea of human empowerment, human rights, um, being a tool for freedom, being able to, to, you know, escape tyranny in a, in a country with an authoritarian, authoritarian leader. Um, there are things about Bitcoin that appeal to both sides. That's what's so beautiful about it. And it's the people's money. Like if you're on the progressive side, how could you be against something that empowers people at the bottom of society to actually keep the value of their money and be able to change, you know, their lot in life, they should be allowed to do that. And so I think, I think it's really important to make sure to educate political leaders. I think hopefully we'll have some, some more Bitcoiners in Congress and maybe someday even in our White House. Um, but I really think that at the at the core, Bitcoin is is not political. And I hope it I hope that the message overall sort of becomes something that unites us. You know, everything sort of divides us right now, but I hope Bitcoin ultimately unites us. Wow, that was really, really interesting uh, perspective. And I had never thought of it that way, but that 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 was really well said. Um Tell us, uh, Natalie, about your transition. I mean, I guess we talked a little bit about your introduction to Bitcoin, but when you were working in broadcast journalism and you found out a bit about Bitcoin, just tell us how that happened. Uh, yeah, so it was 2017. I was working at a, a an NBC network station 
in Sacramento, which is the state capital of California. I was covering a lot of public policy and uh, news just around Northern California. And I had friends who lived in Silicon Valley and one of them who a friend of a friend worked at Coinbase. So I first heard about Bitcoin and um, it started to actually pop up in the news headlines as well because it was that bull run in 2017. I don't know if you recall, it mm-hmm. hit a, it topped at, I think, 20,000 before dropping. And so before that, I, I think the price was just a couple thousand. I, I bought it. I bought my first, you know, um, amounts of Bitcoin. And um, and then I just saw it ride all the way to 20 and then I saw it drop. And I'm actually surprised that I didn't sell because I hadn't really gone down the rabbit hole. I was just sort of on the fringe learning about it. And I, I didn't really understand all of the things surrounding Austrian economics and the technology and the difficulty adjustment. Like I did not go that deep yet, but I covered it as a story. I remember covering like a Bitcoin ATM in our local Sacramento area. And so I tried to pitch more stories and my network was like, no, I mean, this is, this could go to zero. Everyone could lose their money. We can't be reporting on this. Um, And so, yeah. So then from then on, I kept accumulating. I was curious. And then when I went down the rabbit hole is when I really gained a lot of conviction and things started to change for me. And how how far do you think people have to go down that rabbit hole? Because I, I, you know, and I think we talked about this before we started recording. I There's going to come a time when Bitcoin is adopted and you're not going to have a choice. You're going to have to just use it, whether you understand it or not. And yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, for me, I, my first like life changing sort of um, experience going down the rabbit hole was reading the Bitcoin standard by Saifedean. That was like the aha moment for me. And I think that that book, I had to read it. I ended up reading it three times. I had to read it twice really to understand everything and to remember everything. And I found it all so fascinating and shocking and amazing. Um, and I think that that's not a, I think, first of all, it should be required reading for all schools. I wish the Bitcoin standard was required, but I also can see, you know, some of my girlfriends or people within my age group, not really being interested in a book that, that, that goes that deep or talks about all the history. So I just think it just depends on the person as far as how far or where you go in the rabbit hole. I think everyone has such a different learning style. For me, Safedine's book was life-changing for other people. I think they like to consume shorter content or they want videos or, you know, maybe they really like a podcast like Peter McCormick's or Jimmy songs. So I think everybody's really different. Um, for me, I decided to go deeper, deeper and deeper and deeper, right? Not everyone continues down that path. Maybe they just become convinced and they buy some and they go on with their daily lives. For me, it's like constant. And to this day, it's like every article I can consume. If Michael Saylor's on a new interview, I I watch it. Um, If a new book is published, I want to read it. So for me, it's, it's become my career. But for other people, I think, you know, just at least you know, taking the time to at least read a few articles and and see if it sparks interest for more, maybe, you know, get in, buy a couple dollars worth, buy five, ten dollars, what you might have spent on a coffee and just get in and start start watching the price. I think that's so important is just taking that baby step. You don't have to go all the way. You don't have to read everything or watch everything, but just taking baby steps is so important. And um, Natalie, if you take your experience with uh, your seminar I mean, do do you plan to kind of fashion a book around that or a publication that's directed towards women? Have you thought about that? 
I haven't, you know, I'm just at the starting point of transitioning to this new career and I'm trying to figure out all the things that um, hopefully I can be a part of. I certainly want to produce more video content and make more appearances within the media uh, to a, a more general public to just share the message of Bitcoin. And I've had the chance to start to do that. And for me, that's like the biggest thing because there are so many people out there in the general public that's that still don't understand it. They don't know how to start. And, you know, it's one thing to go on CNBC or Fox Business News, which is wonderful, but you're speaking to an audience that is probably already investing. Mm-hmm. We need to tap the massive audience that's not investing and that could, you know, potentially have their lives changed by Bitcoin. So to reach those people, I think is going to require you know, strategy and a different form of communication and and different, you know, channels and different networks and different platforms. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to figure out where I can use my skills as a sort of a communicator, a messenger and a and a reporter to best tell the story of Bitcoin in the most simple way. Fantastic. When you you know when you look at uh, women in Bitcoin and we were talking about this before as well, there there are some very high powered women in Bitcoin. Um, I don't see them and I don't hear from them, but and but maybe they're just not interacting enough. Um, wh- why do you think that is? I mean, the uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm just asking. Maybe it's a naive question, but it, it seems like we have some very high powered women in Bitcoin and. They just don't seem to be putting themselves out there a lot. Yeah, I'm going to say two things about that. Um, You're absolutely right. We have some incredible women who are sort of on the business side, providing some of these services and products around this ecosystem. Everyone from Lynn Alden, who Mm -hmm. has an investment strategy company, to Flory Marquez, who's the co-founder of BlockFi to Haley Lennon, who is an attorney in this space, and many, many more. Elizabeth Stark at Lightning Labs. I mean, there's so many great women, Kathy Wood at ARC, but they're busy running their companies, right? They're busy with the everyday, you know, running everything that needs to happen in the operations of their of their organizations, whereas I'm focused on content and the message. So I think I'm freed up to sort of do the work for them in a way. Like I'm happy to take that take that challenge on and take that opportunity on because that's that's my whole background. And we don't have a lot of reporters just covering Bitcoin. We don't have a lot of reporters even well versed or educated on Bitcoin to be able to report on it in a very fair way. So so that's where I think there's a, a lot of opportunity. And I think we need to highlight the stories and and these women who are working so hard. I think in general women, the second thing I was going to say is I think in general women, they they, they feel like they have to work twice as hard or, or even harder just to be at an equal level as men. It's it's almost like we all feel like we're still catching up. And so that's probably why they don't have the time to put themselves out there for extra interviews or podcasts. But I hope that changes in the sense that I want more of them to, to come out and be you know front-facing and have their stories told. I would like to tell some of their stories. And I hope that more female content creators come up because I think we just we need to get the message out more. And I think women do a good job of communicating the message. Well, I think you've got an empire to build. That's what it sounds like. That's awesome. I mean, and just for the listeners, I, I'm a father of three daughters, so I, I totally understand Natalie's perspective. Um, just raising daughters and adult daughters now, the, the, the inequality and the struggle that they have to, to pursue. So I appreciate that. So, I mean, speaking of building the empire, where would you want this to go in the next, you know, five to 10 years? Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm dream big, Natalie. Come on. 
I'm sort of taking this one day and one week at a time. I'm I'm super excited that there's so much momentum. I left my job and all of a sudden, you know, three weeks later, we have an all-time new high for Bitcoin, which is so, so, so exciting. Um, I just really hope that there are predictions out there that in the next five years or by 2025, we're going to hit a billion users and that it's moving at a faster pace than internet adoption was back in the late 90s. And so my hope is that I'm just a part of that that journey and that um, that mission to just onboard more people and make them understand the system and then understand it in a way that they can also communicate the message to their own communities. That's one of the great thing about um, you know women in Bitcoin and this series that we're doing. The women are now going to have a ripple effect in all of their lives and work environments and families. They're, they're going to take the message from our rooms, discussions and workshops, and they're going to spread it to their circles. And then hopefully those circles will spread it. And, and you know, everything has a bigger and bigger effect. So I'm super excited. I just want to be a part of it. I um, And I, you know, my dream, honestly, is just to be able to get to a place where I feel very financially secure and, and, and I could, you know, reward my parents for their sacrifice bringing me here. It wasn't easy. They could have just stayed. They were in their late 30s, early 40s, and they decided to come come over here and start from scratch. And it was all in the name of their kids having a better life. So I would love to just have my Bitcoin career put me in a position where I could buy them just a beautiful, a beautiful, nice house that they can live and not have to worry about money and retire in peace. And um, yeah, so I don't, I don't have like crazy aspirations other than just to spread the message and help my family. That's awesome. That's awesome. I could tell you that uh, you didn't miss anything by not being a doctor. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, well, this has been fantastic. Um, one, one more question for you. You know, my wife has done some work with, um, you know, disadvantaged women or, or abused women, uh, marginalized women. I mean, do you think that Bitcoin could be a tool in those situations and in, in shelter situations um, that could provide empowerment for women uh, to get out of abusive situations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the best thing about Bitcoin is it is censorship resistant and no one knows how much you have or where you have it. It is all it is. The self-custody aspect is so important because it truly gives you that individual sovereignty and and power over your own money. And I'm going to give you an example. That tech CEO that I referred to earlier in the interview, Roya Maboub, she had an employee working for her where she was paying her in Bitcoin and she was in in a marriage that was was that way. She didn't have any power, any control, and she felt like a victim that could never get out. And because the value of Bitcoin appreciated, she was able to leave her husband behind. Wow. She was able to say, you know what? It doesn't matter what you do. I have I have the power and I can stand on my own two feet because I have a financial safety net through Bitcoin to leave and create a new life for myself because she was so, so many women, I mean, around the world are still financially dependent on their partners. And so absolutely it is happening in real time. And I'm sure that more stories like that are out there. They're just, they just haven't been told yet. And so, see, I wonder if that, because I think that's a universal thing with women, um, that empowerment that that would give, I, I wonder if that would be a different way to approach it with, with women, um, but that that's fantastic, um, Natalie. I, I'll put your contact, your Twitter info, um, in the show notes. Is there another way that you would like for folks to get in touch with you or interact with you? 
Yeah. I mean, just please check out my show, Coin Stories. It's on YouTube as well as every other podcast platform. If you have someone in your life who's interested in potentially taking a, a course or workshop series in Bitcoin, you can head to btcforwomen.com. We're trying to see if we're going to have some more of those workshop series later in the year or next year. And uh, on Twitter, at Nat Brunel. Thanks awesome. for, for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, Natalie, this has been so fun. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you would leave a review, that would be fantastic as well. Peace. Peace.